Good morning again, church. My name is Jonas. It's great to be with you. I can't wait to open the scriptures with you. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, the Bible, I'd love to put one in your hands. We have ushers who will be coming down the aisle. You can just indicate to them that you'd like to borrow a copy. If you don't have one to take home, uh, take it with you, please. We'd love for you to take that as your gift. And then I also want to acknowledge we have a number of folks who are visiting with us today. We're grateful that you chose to visit Bethel Church. Uh, If you're new here, please fill out one of those response cards that you'll find in the bulletin that we handed out, or go online, BethelFC.com slash connect, and let us know you're here and how we might serve you, how we might pray for you. I also want to let you know about a new feature that we're working on in the Bible app. So, for instance, today, we're going to skim over a number of Bible passages, so it might be a little hard if you're not familiar with the scripture to to keep up, and uh, I want to encourage you in the Bible app, you can scan that QR code that's on the bulletin, or maybe you saw it on the slides earlier, and follow along in the Bible app. I'm excited to be with you and to share with you today, and uh, that excitement has been building uh, for some time, because what I hope to do today is to help share with you why I think the gathered church is so important in the business of the kingdom of God. And, and I, wanna, I wanna start with an illustration and a story that comes from something that was just so familiar to me. A couple of years ago, my wife and I traveled back to our, one of our hometowns, Laramie, Wyoming, to see family and friends. And our trips back to Laramie, Wyoming are often very restful um, and life-giving. We love spending time with our extended family, and I love seeing the mountains. Um, there were a few of those when we arrived here. I love seeing the mountains. I love seeing the wildlife and just enjoying the outdoors. And on the trip I'm thinking of, uh, we decided to visit the Wyoming State Territorial Prison. Now, growing up in Laramie, my wife had been to this state uh, park before, but I had never been. And as I reflect on it, this was a state park that we drove by every single time we were in Laramie. I took it for granted. It was just over there, and and there were stories told of, oh yeah, that's the state territorial park, and and if you want to go, we could. So we decided we were going to go, and we took our kids, and we had the best time ever. It was really fun. Like, we we visited, and and I got to sit in the same jail cell where Butch Cassidy sat. I'd read about him in Louis L'Amour books, etc., so that was kind of fun, and my kids liked seeing their dad inside a jail cell. I liked getting out, so we had a good time. Uh, The kids even got in one of those wagons, like the old-style wagons with the bars on them, and, and, you know, we pretended that that we were uh, frontiersmen for a little bit. We just had the best time. But one of the things that stood out to me most was when our kids started visiting with one of the park rangers. Uh, We learned that he was from Moorhead, Minnesota. And it was so fun to meet somebody from our, one of our other hometowns. I mean, even though it's Moorhead, it's still us, right? Fargo-Moorhead area. I, I've learned there's some pride on either side of the river there. And uh, this man, he was so generous and kind to our children. He did his job very well. He answered all of their questions with such generosity. And he was wise and he asked them questions and he drew them in to this, this opportunity we were experiencing with, with together And he genuinely engaged us as people who had come to explore something that that wasn't new to him. He knew all about it, but it felt new to us. And in so many ways, something that I had taken for granted for so long became something that was very rich for me in that moment, in that experience. We had passed that park every single time, but that time we stopped and our experience gave us life. And so this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to take some time 
to stop and pause and to visit with you like that park ranger. I hope after we're done, you think, okay, yeah, he, he answered some of my questions and he asked me some good questions and he helped me see that something that was so familiar that I could take for granted is so much more than I could have ever imagined. Friends, when you and I gather together, or let me just say for me, for me, when we gather together on Sunday morning, if I'm not careful, I take this place for granted. When I stand up and I tell you, we want to see you Wednesday night for dinner, if I'm not careful, it's just one more thing on the list of things I could do. And God knows we don't need more to do. You see, it's so easy to take for granted the things which have become so familiar to us. And so I do want to invite you to come out for dinner. I want to invite you to come back to church next week. I want to invite you to to not just gather with us today, but to gather with us regularly because I think what God has for us is life-giving. I think what God has for us as the gathered body of Christ is for your well-being and for mine. Last month, I picked up a book called The Local Church, why it, What It Is and Why It Matters for Every Christian. It's written by another free church pastor, so for some of us, that's helpful, right? I mean, we're in the same denomination, we're cheering each other on, and this book has caused me to really think deeply. And it's invited me to think about the richness and the beauty of things that I so easily take for granted. Honestly, I, as I'm reading that book and I'm reminded of the scriptures, I'm inspired I confess to you, I'm a bit convicted. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm trying to think even more deeply about what does it mean when we gather as a body of Christ? It reminded me too of some training I, I experienced a number of years ago when I first came to Bethel. A number of us were reading a book um, called Tactics by Greg Kokel, and it had all to do about how do you share your faith and what's one of the, what are some of the things we can do to really engage the community? Kind of like that park ranger engaged my family. <laughs> And one of the things he did that helped us, the park ranger, was he put little thought pebbles in our shoe and he caused us to think about some things that maybe we hadn't thought about. It's one of Coco's tactics. He says when you're talking about about Jesus, we should ask good questions. (laughs) And we should leave little thought pebbles in their shoe, per se. Because here's what you know about that little rock in your shoe. Sure, you could leave it. But the longer you leave it, the more it bugs you. (laughs) And the more it bugs you, the more you're going to really want to address it. And so I hope today that as we're here together, we we have a few of those thought pebbles that get locked uh, locked in your mind, like like one that got locked in mine. Let Let me share it with you. You see, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, when God created the earth, he created in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And he told the people of God, there should be a day set apart for rest that you might remember that I am God and I care for you. And and we might extrapolate out there, apart from me, you can do nothing. (laughs) Jesus said as much. But in the New Testament, something changed about our day of worship. Sunday became a holy day and a day that was set apart for worship of Christ. The Lord's day is less about rest and more about focusing on Christ, who is our rest. In the fullest sense, he fulfills all the demands of God in his person and work. And this rhythmic pattern of set exciting a day of worship called the Lord's Day, well, it disciples us. It causes us to order order our time and distinguish our identity in Christ and to be on mission for Christ. This was one of those thought pebbles that stuck in my head. I never thought about the significance of six days, then rest, and post-Christ, holiday. 
Praise God, Jesus rose from the dead. We serve a risen Savior. And now we go to work. You see the difference? It changes your perspective. There's something very unique in time and space about the church of Jesus, and I think it's important that we take a few minutes and review what do we know about the church? If you want to dig deeper on this, there's plenty of resources. I commend to you this book by Edward Klink. Um, Many of you have been exposed to our um, Evangelical Convictions book that we share. Come to About Bethel next Sunday. I'd love to talk to you more about this. These are things we want to talk about. Who is the church? What is the church? And a few years ago, we did a series called We Believe, and during this series, we addressed what is the church. And in your outline, if you're following along, we're just going to skip over and let you see again, uh, hopefully, reminders of, of what is the church. Well, one of the metaphors used in the New Testament of the church is that the church is a building. And, and the building, it builds us up to, to worship our creator, God. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. The people of Christ gathered together are like a building. They're like a temple where God's spirit comes upon us and we worship together and we represent Christ as this building. And the other thing that's interesting about each of these metaphors is that they're all in the plural. We, the gathered body of Christ, are like a building. The second one, we're like a body. And it has this emphasis of the connectivity between each of us as believers in Christ. Listen to Paul again in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. This metaphor of body speaks to our unity and our diversity in our unity, We learn as we read in the New Testament that we're all given unique gifts to strengthen the body and to build us up. John Calvin, one of the reformers of the 1500s, um, he kind of riffed on this metaphor a little bit and, and, and he said, the church is the common mother of all the godly which bears, nourishes, and brings up children to God, kings and peasant alike, and this is done by the ministry of the body. He, he takes that body metaphor and, and, and he spins it just a little bit. He says the church is like, like the mother that cares for her children and, and that as you grow in Christ, you grow together in the body of Christ. Well, the third B metaphor we looked at a few years ago when we did this that was really helpful was that that the church is a bride, and it speaks of of Christ's love for his body, the church. We read in Revelation 19, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. You see, Christ is preparing his church like a bride that's being prepared for her wedding. There is a great day of feast to come, and Christ will welcome us, his church, as his bride. It should sound familiar to you who read your Bible. It sounds a lot like in Ephesians chapter 5. The husband is to love his wife like Christ loved the church. Self-sacrificing, lifting her up, beautifying her, serving her through sacrifice that she might be beautiful before God. The church is like a bride, expression of Christ's love for you. I want to add one that didn't make it to your outline. 
Because as I've been thinking deeper about this, I think this is one that, that you and I can really relate to in this season. I think the church is like an embassy. Not like the hotel, embassy suites, but, but like an embassy. You know, just like today, this happened in, in, in ancient times as well. An embassy is an outpost, a, a political representation of, of something that exists somewhere else. If, if you and I were to travel to Honduras again, and we were to need help, that because of our citizenship, we needed unique help, we know that we can go to the American embassy and we will re receive special privileges and rights extended to us as Americans in a foreign country at the Embassy for America in Honduras. Make sense? And that the embassy is staffed by people who are ambassadors from the country. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And so we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So if we use this metaphor of embassy, the key word might be ambassador. Friends, you and I are ambassadors for Christ. And when we gather together as the people of God, we are a reminder to this foreign land that there is another king whose allegiance we have pledged ourselves to. And his kingdom is greater than any other earthly kingdom. And the rights and privileges of that kingdom are ours in Christ. Peter says as much in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter was speaking to a suffering group of Christians in a foreign land. Now, it was their land. But they had pledged allegiance to a greater king. And he said, you're like aliens and strangers. Though you live in the here and now, there is an already and not yet that has a greater pull on your life. Some days I get pretty wrapped up. When asked, like, so Jonas, who are you? And they dig a little bit deeper. I go, well, I, I actually learned that I think my ethnic roots are from England. Uh, grew up in well, grew up, uh, lived in Western North Carolina, then in Wyoming. In March, I cheer for the Tar Heels. And I can go on and on about all these little things, right? And I can get lost in this. But, but when, I'm, when my mind is in sync with the Spirit, I remember that my first and greatest identity is that I am a child of the Heavenly Father. I have been adopted into the family of God. And that this family of God, it, it, it's like a body, with many parts, and in our, in our diversity, there's unity. In our unity, there's diversity. I, I'm, we're like a building that's being built up, like a sanctuary for the, for the worship of God. We're like a bride being prepared for something beautiful, and we live like an embassy, as strangers and aliens, and you and I are called to be ambassadors for the king. We live in the kingdom of light. And I love how that passage in Peter is really just, again, Peter riffing on Jesus, let your light so shine before men that they would see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. That's what we're called to do. Friends, there is darkness all around us. But your spiritual passport comes from the kingdom of light. And you've been called to, to take your citizenship in heaven and to be an ambassador, to make an appeal for Jesus to those who are in the darkness to come into the light of Christ.
We walk by faith, not by sight. There are these good works which God has prepared in advance that we should simply walk in them. And we do that as a gathered people of God. In their book, The Trellis and the Vine, we're reminded that the church is both an organization. There's, there's organizing parts to it. If you, I don't grow vines. I'm learning. The trellis is like the hardware that the vine grows on. The vine itself is like an organism, and that's how the church is. We're, we're both the organized organization, but we're also both the organic outworking. And when we find ourselves out of balance, it seems like the fruitfulness of the church pays the price. You look back to the last 2,000 years of the Big C Church, and wow, do we have some history, don't we? I mean, you, you look at all who call themselves Christians, and in church history, you can discover that there's about three major trunks of, of, of denominations or religious organization that call themselves Christian. You have, you have the Roman Catholic Church and the, the Orthodox Church, and then out of another trunk, you have the Protestant Church, the, the Great Reformation of the 1500s. And as you read in history, you realize like, okay, we've got these three uh, uh, big, big branches, but then you've got like a thousand little branches. And you and I find ourselves in 2022 as one of the little branches that comes out of the reforming church of 500 years ago. And I gotta be honest, when I'm not careful, I take for granted a lot of what this is. But you and I stand on the shoulders of great reformers like Luther and Calvin and Zwingli. Now when I say that, I look out in the church and, and I'm real sophisticated, so I use Google to help me get my numbers this week. There's more than 100 churches in Fargo that claim Christianity within those three major branches. More than 100. And I'm tempted to believe, wow, that's too many. Until I look at all of the people around us who don't yet know Christ, and I think that's not enough. We have work to do. The gathered people of God as ambassadors, as an outpost, as an embassy, we have so much to do. And then I think to myself, like, and maybe you've had this thought too, why are there so many different churches? Because when we talk about the church, one of the things that can be hard for us is like, how do we distinguish between the church? And I want to show you a slide that's been really helpful for me, and it's something we talk about in our About Bethel class, and, and it's this idea that within church history and within church think, we say we have certain things we believe, right? We believe this. But there's different levels of, of our commitment to a belief or of our confidence in a belief. And one of the things that I love about the Evangelical Free Church and I love about Bethel Church is we have a core that we're willing to die for. We believe these things. We believe that God is eternally existing in three persons and there is one God. We believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. We believe that the atonement and in the bodily in the substitutionary atonement and the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. He really was man and God. He really did die. He really did raise again. And we believe he's coming back. And brothers and sisters, we're willing to die for that. But we also understand that in the life of the church, there are some doctrines. That, that are going to cause us to divide. They're urgent for the work of the church and for us to accomplish the mission. We can't believe both things and still work together as well as we should. And Clink helped me understand that 
This is a mark of living in a broken world and having an enemy. We read the same scripture. We believe the same die for things, but, but we just can't agree on some of the practices. You want to baptize your baby, and I don't. You want to organize in a Presbyterian type of, 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 of leadership, and I don't. We can't do both, and so we, so we separate on these things, but we fight for and with each other. There are some things you just debate, and in the free church, we have a gift, guys. When our denomination was formed in the 1950s, one of the greatest gifts of our denomination was that the leaders, when they were coming together, said, show me where it's written. Show me where it's written, show me where it's written, show me where it's written. And they built a theological statement that allowed us to have some latitude to debate some things that others want to divide over. Come to About Bethel class, we'll talk about those. It's a lot of fun. But it also hurts your head a little bit. Because it'd be so much easier to just divide and hate each other when really it's harder to to come together and say, no, we're going to fight for each other. We're going to fight with each other. We're going to help each other be better. And then there's some things, friends, you just got to make a decision. When when they chose um, this kind of seats versus pews, somebody just had to decide, and that is certainly not worth dividing this church over, amen? (laughs) I know you may not prefer the paint color. Praise God, somebody made a decision and we made some progress, okay? That's life in community. So here are three marks that I want to give you so that you can test and see if the church is a healthy church. Because when we talk about why church, these are some things that we're processing, right? What is the church? It's a body and a bride. It's a building and an embassy. Why are there so many different churches? Well, because we can't all agree on our doctrine, but certainly on the things we're dying for, we can work together. And how do we know if the church is healthy? These three marks show up throughout all of church history as important to the health of the church. And the first is that of the scriptures. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 3. You kids that are in Awana and getting ready for Awana, this is your verse, okay? I think it's your verse, other than the all workmen are approved. Yeah, that's your verse. This is like your verse, though, okay? All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the Servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Friends, when you're looking at our church or any other church, how do we treat the scriptures? Because God revealed himself through his son, through his word, that we might be his witness into the world. Does does the church properly practice baptism and communion? I think this is important for us. Baptism is the initiation into the body of Christ. It's this public profession of a personal decision someone's made to receive the good news that's been shared with them that Jesus Christ came to save sinners and I'm one of them and I need saving. And so as I enter into the body of believers, I'm baptized. Paul would write, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too are raised to new life. When we gather for communion, we give evidence of our continuing fellowship with the body of Christ. As the elements of the bread and the wine are shared, we remember that one body is our reality in Christ. Friends, these are important marks of the church. And it's important that we practice these things to remind ourselves of the kingdom from which we come. 
and to witness to the world of the kingdom which is coming. The third mark is that of the order of the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, you can go there sometime and read, but you, what you, let me just give you a little overview here. Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy, and Paul's pattern was wherever he went, he would establish pastor elders within the early church. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says this, he says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach them to them and them to them and then to them. You and I stand on the shoulders of 2,000 years of the faithful teaching of the word of God. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we see how the ordering of the church becomes really important. I was reminded as I read this book how significant it is and especially in our free church thinking that, that we want you to be members of the little C Bethel Church. You become a member when you trust Christ in the big C church. We want to invite you to become a member of the little C church. And part of your initiation into the membership here is that you know Jesus. And that, that you commit to working with us that we might be the beautiful expression of body and building, bride and embassy. And we do that as we order ourselves according to the New Testament. So when you're looking for a church or you're evaluating our church, I would encourage you to look for, does this church recognize the spirit-empowered gifts that are given by God for the building up of the body? And do the leaders within our church equip the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ that we may be more and more, better and better at that embassy-type work? I want to begin to land the airplane, per se, here with these thoughts. Friends, here's why we do church. We do church because we love God. The church is not a human idea. It's God-ordained. It was his idea. Jesus said, what is the greatest commandment? That you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. So when you come to church, I want you to have that thought first on your mind. I love God and I'm here because I'm part of his family. And we're going to worship together. We do church because we love our neighbor. It was scandalous what Jesus said in Luke chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit life? And Jesus said, what's written in the law and the expert said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, do this and you will live. And then the scandal came. Because what the religious leader didn't want to hear but needed to hear is that the one he thought was most not likely to be his neighbor was in fact his neighbor. Our role as the church is that we're to love our neighbors. We're to be outward witnesses for them. And then the third thing that stands out to me is that we're to love one another. In John chapter 13, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Friends, we've covered a lot of territory. <laughs> And I've, I've come at you a little bit fast. I hope I've built a logical argument to help strengthen your resolve that, that when it comes time to prioritize the gathering of the people of God, that, that there's some meat on those bones. 
That, that there's, some, there's some foundation being built in your understanding that your vision for Christ Church is bigger and more beautiful than when you first came in this room, that you're reminded of these truths. Because here's what I know to be true about myself, is that I can take for granted what God has given me for my well-being. And I would imagine it's easy for you, too, to take for granted what God has given for your well-being. But when it comes to the local church, I want to invite you to give priority to the local church. And we're not the only ones. <laughs> so if, you're, you, if God calls you to another church or your friends are at a different church and they're, they're preaching the word and they're practicing the ordinances appropriately and they have a good leadership built from the New Testament ground up, praise God. Cheer them on. But commit to the local church, attend the church, join the church, be a part of what we're doing, serve with us and love one another as Christ has called us to love. I want to end with Anthony's permission sharing a story. I, I joked with him, you know, Anthony and I have a great relationship. If you see us together, we're probably laughing. He, he had a, a dream to do some more stuff for worship ministry, and we started into this playful joking, like I hope happens with you in your workplace, where, where we're kind of prioritizing each other's ministry. And Anthony wanted to make the case for me, against me, for us, it was all in, in, and it was true, he said that the only thing that we'll be doing for all eternity is worshiping God. Did I get that right? Okay. So you know where we're going. And we were in this conversation, you know, trying to jockey for position. I said, that is great. As the local outreach pastor, I'm just trying to get as many people as possible to go with us. So I thought, it was much funnier if you were there. <laughs> this pastor humor needs some work. But it triggered, like a pebble in my shoe, a thought. And I hope this makes sense to you. Friends, when you think, why church? Why the local church? Why do I do the work of getting up early or setting a day apart? Or why, do I, why do I show up again and again and again when things are so hard and there's so much tension and there's so many temptations to do something else and God knows we don't need more to do? Let me help you see a vision for what is. In Revelation chapter 5, John writes, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on the sides and sealed with seven seals. You see, God had given John a vision of what was to come, and I want you to see it. And I saw a mighty angel proclaim, proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. May the listener understand, no one. And so John says, he wept and he wept because no one was found who is worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and his seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Some of you guys are super confused right now like I was. The three sevens were this idea of perfection. This idea of total sovereignty and total control and total power and this movement of the spirit of God. And this is the one. 
He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb and each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels. They were numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice, listen to what they said. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may we not take the gathering of the people of God together for granted. But may we gather as a body being built up in Christ, as a, as, a, as a building designed to worship our Lord Jesus, as a bride who's being prepared for that great feast which is to come, and as an embassy made up of ambassadors who've been called by Christ with passports from the kingdom of light, inviting all from the kingdom of darkness who will believe to follow Jesus. Please, prioritize what Christ has made so important. Let's pray together. Father, we've just read this beautiful picture of worship that will happen in the new heavens and the new earth, of the kingdom which is to come. Lord, even now, there are angels who are singing around your throne. Father, truly, you are worthy of our worship. We thank you for your Son, who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing, We thank you for your spirit who is moving, maybe even in our midst this morning, to draw more people to you. And so we cry out, Lord, do it again. We pray that you would come soon and end the suffering that we experience here on this earth. And at the same time, God, we pray that you would give us still more time to share this good news with those who are perishing. So God, meet us here today. Gather us back together again. Help us believe once again that you are with us and that you go before us. In Jesus' name, amen.